Well, earlier this week, I was uh, remembering a story, and uh, we were reflecting back on a time when uh, my wife, Sean, and I were in college, and she was a broadcast journalism major and uh, had aspirations of going into, um, you know, doing whether it's uh, TV stations, things like that. And she interned one summer at the NBC affiliate in Houston and um, had some connections there, had some connections through school. Well, we had the opportunity to go and do something that I thought was pretty cool as a college student and actually would still enjoy it today. And that was we got to go and be on the floor as they did the evening news one night. This was the WFAA here in Dallas, the ABC affiliate. And and the, the cool part of that was we got to interact some with some of the personalities there. There was a guy named Troy Dungan that if you've been around here for a little while, you know who he is. He was a weather guy and just a super nice guy. I was super impressed with him. We got to talk with him a little bit. Um, but, but that felt really special because we, we got to be up close and personal to experience something that we'd only experienced any other time from the other side of a TV screen. And, you know, there's something about having that sense of being up close and personal that that is special and it is unique. And last week as we ended Hebrews chapter 4, we saw at the end of that chapter how it says that we have been given access to God. It says that we can approach His throne of grace with confidence. And that confidence allows us to just really get up close and personal and have that personal relationship with God. And then today in chapter 5, we're going to explore that further of why that's the case. And Jesus as our high priest. And uh, so let's just dive into it, starting with the first, uh, first four verses of chapter 5. It says, Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifice for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. So let's stop there for just a minute. We'll come back and read some more in, in a minute. But I want to talk for just a second about the functions of a high priest as it's outlined here in this passage. And, and we're going to talk about a little bit about that. What does a high priest do? And then we're going to talk about how Jesus fulfills those functions of a high priest. And then some, and it's so much better than that. One of the things that makes it really clear at the beginning of this passage we just read, as well as in verse 4, is the fact that nobody takes this honor upon himself. This is something that God calls. It, it is something that God decides. And uh, back in the Old Testament, God decided that when he called Moses to lead the people out of Egypt and his brother Aaron would be, they were from the tribe of Levi, and Aaron would be kind of this original high priest. And, and at the time, there were some others who followed another priest or another Levite by the name of Korah. And they got upset about the fact that Aaron was placed in this position above them. And in Numbers 16, verse 3, it says, they came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? So why would you take on this role and bring it upon yourself? And Moses' response is, is fantastic. He basically says, let's let God decide that. We'll let God decide and show who is holy in his eyes. And he said, here's what I want you to do. Tomorrow I want you to fill your censers with, with coals and incense, and I want you to bring it as an offering to God, and we'll see what happens. And if you recall the story the next day when that took place, Moses said that, that, that if 
you in fact are in rebellion against God, and he knew they were, he said the earth is going to open up, it's going to swallow you whole. And that's exactly what happened. And the earth opened up, swallowed them. The other 250 priests who were following Korah were uh, killed by, by fire. They came out. I mean, I guess the point in this is don't question who God appoints as high priest. Let God decide, and that's his job, and not something that an individual would you know, say, this is a role that I want for myself. It's something that is to be appointed by God. But then see, you see in this passage as well, that the specific purpose of that, he's appointed for what? To represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and then sacrifices for sins. In other words, that the high priest is the ultimate one then who is representing the people to God. He's, he's kind of a, a go-between, really, to offer sacrifices and to pray for and those kinds of things. And when I think about representing someone, I, I, my mind goes toward having a uh, legal counsel, you know, having someone that represents someone, that their job is to speak to the judge and to the jury on behalf of the person that they represent, right? And if you're going to choose someone to represent you, you better choose the right kind of person. You probably don't want this guy showing up when you decide that I found someone to represent me in a court of law. Probably wouldn't go so well if that's what happened. Uh, but what we see here is that this high priest who was appointed by God, who was called by God, is the representative of the people. And so uh, his job was to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. Now, one of the, 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 the things that is important for us to see here is that when it talks about that, it talks about the sacrifices, it says for, for sins in the Old Testament. A sacrifice could not be offered for willful disobedience. If a person knew God's law and just blatantly rebelled against God's law, there was really no sacrifice for that. There was death for that. Now, thankfully, that's not the case anymore. Thankfully, Jesus, when he became our sacrifice, paid the penalty for all sins, whether it's willful disobedience or not. Uh, but, but we understand the difference in that. And those of us that are parents understand the difference between, you know, somebody and, and a child that is disobedient and maybe just doesn't know better or maybe got distracted by something else or those times where the kid just looks you right square in the eye and it's like, I'm going to do what I choose to do. I don't care what you say. I don't know how you feel about that as a parent. That did not go over well with me, especially when my kids were younger, uh, because there's something about that willful disobedience, right, that is, that is not good. But then again, don't we find ourselves in that same position from time to time where we just say, I know this is what God says. I know this is what the Bible says. Uh, I'm thankful that there is a sacrifice even for those sins and that Christ died even for those things. And we'll come back to that and talk about that a little bit more here in just a little while. But let's talk for now about why Jesus is different and what makes him stand apart. So let's continue reading in verse 5. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. 
I want to point out a few things here in this passage, but the, the broader category is something that we've touched on before, and if you've been with us over the last several weeks, one of the things that I've said is Hebrews is a repetitive book. A lot of the themes in the book of Hebrews are repeated um, many times throughout the book, and this is one of them, is it comes back to Jesus as our high priest and why uh, he is better. And really, that's the, the, the first main idea today is simply that, to remind us that Jesus is better. Better than what? Better than any high priest ever had been? Better than anything? Better than anyone? Jesus stands apart. And here are some reasons why that is the case. And by the way, that is a really strong statement to make because the high priest was at the top of the spiritual food chain. And you, you don't get any closer to God according to their structure and their hierarchy than the high priest. And so to come along and say Jesus is superior to even the high priest was a big deal. But here's why. Let's look at a few of the things that it says here. Starting in verse 5, it says, You are my son, quoting from the Old Testament, You are my son today, I become your father. Jesus is better because he's the son of God. He is not someone that was just appointed to this role to fill a role. Jesus came from heaven to earth specifically to fill the role of becoming our high priest and ultimately not just to offer a sacrifice on our behalf, but to become God's sacrifice on our behalf to pay for our sin. And so in that sense, he's, he's in a totally different category. Jesus is superior and is better uh, because he is the son of God. And, and it says in this passage, uh, as, as we're looking at this, it says that, that he also uh, came in verse six, right after that, it says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And that kind of leads us into the second reason that Jesus is better, but we need to understand who Melchizedek was. He was the, the king of Salem, but he was also the priest, the high priest of Salem. And that's one of the things that makes him so unique. And you can go back into the book of Genesis. I believe it's Genesis 14 that tells the story of Melchizedek, Abram coming back from victory and meeting Melchizedek and making an offering, gave 10% of all he had to him. But the thing that set him apart was he was both priest and king. And so Jesus is better because he is our priest and he is our king. Priest in the sense that he is the one who gives us spiritual life that is that go-between, as we talked about a moment ago, uh, that, that allows us to have relationship with God. He's our representative before God, but he's also king in the sense he's in control of everything. Jesus is in control of all things. And so um, all these people who are receiving this letter and every one of us, they were even created by Jesus. So he's in charge, he's in control of everything, but coming in the order of Melchizedek, we'll come back to that here in a couple of weeks in chapter seven and dive into that idea a little bit further, but he is both a priest and king. But then we see something else here in verse seven as we continue on, when it talks about how he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And it says that he was heard because of his reverent submission. Next thing I want you to see is that Jesus is better because he prayed diligently. One of the things that we see throughout the life of Jesus is that, that he just, you know, he, he prayed and he was diligent about that, those prayers and he, he, he offered up fervent prayers throughout, um, throughout his life. I mean, this is just part of his habit that we see. And uh, you ever known somebody that was a great prayer warrior? You ever known somebody that, that you think, man, that, I mean, just when they pray, you feel like there's just a unique connection with God. You know, there's an intimacy, maybe is a better word to say. There's, a, there's an intimacy with God when they pray, and that comes out. You, by the way, you can tell a lot about a person's walk with God by listening to them pray. Um, 
but there are some people that's just like, man, they, that person knows God and they can pray. My wife is one of those people. I mean, if you want something prayed for, she's a pretty good person to go to. She, she just, she is a prayer warrior. She has that relationship with God. But I'm going to tell you right now, neither she nor anybody else, ain't nobody can pray like Jesus. You know, Jesus, I mean, we're talking about God in the flesh talking to God. And isn't it remarkable to think that Jesus offered up prayers not only for himself, and he did. If you remember in the garden before he was to be taken away and crucified, his prayer was, may this cup pass. If there's another way, let it pass. Then he comes back and he prays, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Which could be a whole other sermon in and of itself right there when we pray. Praying with that, that passion and that fervor. It says that he prayed so uh, fervently that his, his, his uh, sweat came out like drops of blood. I mean, that's some passionate prayer right there. And Jesus did that. But not only did he pray that way to his father and did he submit everything to the father and say, not my will, but yours be done. But Jesus also interceded on behalf of those who would become his followers. John 17, right before he is arrested, he's praying for his, his future followers. And if we skip ahead just a little bit, and I won't spend much time on this passage, because again, we'll be there in a couple of weeks, but in Hebrews chapter 7, in verse 25, it says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus intercedes, even now, for his children. And I love that, because every single one of us is guilty. And yet Jesus is that, that representative. He is the one who comes on our behalf, who intercedes for us. Man, what a comfort that is to know that we have. You ever get to a point where you're just like, man, I don't know what else to pray. I, I, just, I just don't know what to do. Well, Jesus intercedes for us and prays on our behalf. What a great high priest he is to know that, that he continues to do that and continues to pray for us. And then the next reason is we continue on in verse 8. In verse 8 it says, Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus is better because he learned obedience through suffering. He learned obedience through suffering. Now, I think we need to dive into this one a little bit further because at first glance it might be like, what? When was Jesus ever disobedient that he needed to learn obedience, right? Well, here's what it's getting at. Not that Jesus ever did disobey because he was perfect. He didn't. He lived a perfect, sinless life. By learned obedience... What that's saying is it's making the point that Jesus in human form experienced everything that we experience. Back to chapter 4, the end of chapter 4, he was tempted just like we are. That's why he's able to empathize with us in our areas of weakness. Jesus learned obedience in the sense of he experienced the things that we experience. And yet in the midst of that temptation, he remained faithful. He continued to be obedient. You know, when we get into our times of most difficulty and our times of greatest pain, what we tend to do is whatever will relieve the pain. Sometimes we get desperate. You ever been there? Maybe some of you are there right now. It's like, I, I don't care what it takes. I just don't want to experience this pain anymore. And when we go through those types of, of suffering, that type of difficulty, it's really easy to turn away from God to whatever works. You know, there's a reason, by the way, um, that as we are in our times of quarantine, 
that there's, there's a lot of stuff happening. It's not good stuff. You know, child abuse is on the rise and things like pornography use. Alcohol sales have gone through the roof. It's, it's an attempt to turn to something to maybe release that pain and to deal with it in a, in a way that's not healthy. And yet Jesus, when he was faced with more pain and more suffering than you and I will ever experience, he still remained faithful. He learned obedience in that sense, of experienced that obedience um, as he went through suffering. You know, this was predicted in the Old Testament long before it came to pass. In Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, it says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. That, those verses lead us to the last thing I want to point out about why Jesus is better. Verse 9 says, And once made perfect, or once complete, once He had completed His task on earth of dying on the cross, once made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him. Jesus is better because He became our source of eternal salvation. The reason this is true is because He took up our iniquities because he, he was crushed for our sins. That, that's why Jesus was able to become this source of eternal salvation. I mean, no other high priest would think, even for a moment, about offering himself as a sacrifice for sin. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not even on the table. And it couldn't be because no other high priest would be able to sacrifice for someone else because he had to pay for his own sins. That's why it says in this passage, he had to first offer sacrifices for his own sins and then sacrifice for the sins of the people. Jesus is unique because he was able to give himself as a sacrifice for us. And as a result of that, it says that he became the source of eternal salvation. Jesus died in our place in order to draw us to Him, in order to give us opportunity to be forgiven. Now, I think I know what somebody is thinking right now. You're thinking, yeah, that sounds good, but you don't know what I've done. I've, I've messed up so bad, I just don't know if God can forgive me. And if that's your thought right now, can I just encourage you with this? The price that Jesus paid was so high that it was more than enough to cover any of your sins or mine. Jesus died for all of it. He was crushed not just for some iniquities, for all of it. He died in our place so that we could be forgiven. And I want to tell you that if you haven't taken that step yet of trusting in Christ and saying, I need that. I can't make myself right. I can't do it on my own, but I believe that you died for me in my place and that you rose again so that I could be forgiven. And just stop right where you are and offer up a prayer of faith and trust to God right now, saying, I give my life to you. I give my heart to you. I'm trusting you, Jesus. I believe that you are the only way for me to find forgiveness. Jesus became that source of eternal salvation, but I want you to know this too. Jesus can become your source of eternal salvation. It can become very personal. Not just something that we talk about in third-person terms, but something you can talk about very personally, as I can, to say, Jesus has become my source of eternal salvation. There is no doubt whatsoever in my mind that when this life ends, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. 
as a result of what Jesus has done. Not because I'm good enough, but because he's good enough. That's who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And it's an invitation to each one of us to respond in faith and to receive what he's given us. Once we do, let's see what what comes next. Let's finish off this chapter and wrap it up. Verse 11 says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you are no longer, because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You know, the next thing that I want you to see, next kind of main idea today is this, that, that we need to grow up. <laughs> we need to grow up in our faith. That's what he's saying here, that, that we should not remain infants, but we need to grow up. Anybody ever told you that before? Adults, you remember when you were a kid being told that? Kids, you remember maybe just recently you've been told that where your parents say, you got to grow up. Anybody like being told you have to grow up? I never did. It's not a pleasant thing to be told, but sometimes we need to hear it. Sometimes we need to be reminded that it's important to grow up. And I wonder if you need to be reminded of that today. If you have trusted in Christ, but you've never really made any real progress forward in your faith, just to be reminded, you need to grow up. It's time to grow up in your faith so that we can, can mature and become who God wants us to be. You know, sometimes we just need a little help diagnosing that. We need a little help uh, identifying how do I know if I really need to grow up in my faith? What are some things that would show me? And there are a couple of things toward the end of this chapter that I see. Uh, It says to us that, that, in fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths all over again. Um, Right before that, actually, in verse 11 is the one that I really wanted. First, in verse 11, his complaint with them is, it says, but you no longer try to understand. Or in other words, you have become dull is another translation. You're just, you're not taking it in anymore. Uh, We know we need to grow up if we've lost our desire to grow up. You ever get to that point where it's like, I I just, I just don't really have much of a desire to learn. You ever try to teach something, by the way, to somebody who doesn't want to learn? I mean, you talk about an exercise in insanity. I'd rather bang my head against the wall than try to teach somebody something that doesn't want to learn, right? It's frustrating. Because if we decide we don't want to learn, we're not going to learn. And, and that's kind of where they were. It's like they just didn't care. They, they no longer wanted to put forth any effort. Do you ever find yourself there spiritually? For whatever reason, have you gotten to a point where you just don't care to learn anymore? You don't care to grow anymore? That's an indication that we need to grow up if that's where we are. Maybe we don't want to because it takes too much effort. Because it's too costly. Maybe we're just not sure what to do. We get frustrated. I mean, there are a million different reasons we can give for not growing up. But the bottom line is we need to grow up. We need to grow up. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean that we can't continue to, you know, but growing up doesn't mean you have to get all stiff and and, and boring all the time. I think about Jesus saying to the children, let the little children come to me. And he said that we should have faith like the faith of a child. And so um, 
you know, we don't have to lose that, but grow up in the sense of wanting to progress in our faith, not just wanting to stay where we are, uh, but, but to grow in our faith. And yet there is also a second indication that we need to grow up, and that's verse 12, where I was getting ahead of myself a moment ago. In verse 12, it says, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. And then this little phrase, you need milk, not solid food. We know we need to grow up uh, when we're just trying to live on milk. Just trying to live on milk. That's an indication that we need to grow up. You know, for the first six months of an infant's life, that infant gets everything he or she needs from, from milk. That's all a young baby needs for a period of time. But past six months, the child starts to need a little bit more. And certainly as the child grows and gets older, there's something more. I mean, we would not expect someone uh, several years old to try to live on nothing more than milk because we need more than that. Milk is for infants, it says. Verse 12 describes it in terms of, of them having to be taught the same things over and over again, that they, they weren't ready to move on. So... There are two ways that we can look at this, ways to know that we are not growing up, that we're still trying to live on milk. One is when we just can't seem to, to grasp some of the simple truths and move on you know, to, to deeper things. But even more than that, an infant is one that has to be cared for by somebody else all the time. An indication that it's time to grow up is if you're always the one who is being cared for spiritually, but you're never doing anything to pour into somebody else. And I would just ask you that simple question. Who are you pouring into spiritually to help that person grow up in their faith? And if the answer is, honestly, not really anybody, that's an indication that you're a spiritual infant. It's time to grow up. It's time to move on to the point where we're not just receiving from somebody else, but we are also giving to someone else. We are doing everything we can to help feed someone else and, and to help them grow. And then verse 14, as it ends, talks about this solid food that is for mature and for the mature. And it says that by constant use of train themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now that's a mark of spiritual maturity, to distinguish good from evil, not in the sense of let me be good enough so that I can earn my salvation. No, in the sense of because I have a relationship with God and because I love God and I want to honor God, then I want to live in such a way that, that my life reflects the holiness of Christ. That I'm distinguishing between good and evil in the sense of, of, of my life as a reflection of the good. And that requires growing up. And so I just want to leave you with that challenge today. I want to leave you with that bit of encouragement that if you find yourself still struggling to get past this infant stage, I just want to encourage you to grow up in your faith. If you haven't ever been born into the family of God, going back to what we said a moment ago, if Jesus hasn't become your source of eternal salvation, man, that's where it starts. It starts by putting your trust in Him, by giving your heart to Him. And then once you've done that, realizing the importance of continuing to grow in your faith. Let's pray together. Lord, to, today we pray that you would give us the ability to, first of all, trust you with all of our heart, but, but also, Lord Jesus, to recognize 
Just what makes you stand apart. You are an amazing high priest. All these things that you have done for us, you're worthy of our praise. And Lord, as a result of that, as we trust in you, you're also worthy of us devoting our whole hearts to you so that we grow up in our faith and, and, and our lives begin to reflect you in all that we do. That's my prayer today. Lord Jesus, we pray all this in your name. Amen. Today, if there's a next step that you need to take, either to trust in Christ for the very first time, or having made that decision to say, I need to take steps forward to grow in my faith, then I want to encourage you to let us know what God has put on your heart. And we simply want to ask you to text the word today. We talked about that a little bit last week. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There's something we need to respond immediately. So text that word today to the number on your screen. And we'll be able to communicate with you and hear more about what God has put on your heart and you can let us know so that we can pray for you and so that we can come alongside and provide any support that we possibly can. I just want to encourage you to take those steps to continue to grow up in your faith.